a faithful God that you're in control. Lord, we lift up our nation to you tonight. Father, we ask, Lord, that your will would be done concerning what's going on in Iraq right now. And Father, we just ask for protection for those who are uh, the innocent children, women and children in Iraq, Lord. We pray you watch over and protect them. Pray also, Lord, just for uh, wisdom for our government, Father God, and for those who are fighting the battle, Lord. Just watch over and protect them all, Lord. And Father, I pray that through this, you would give us opportunities to minister to people that don't know you. May this be an opportunity for the gospel. Lord, we also pray for our time in the Word tonight, that, Lord, you would be our teacher. And, Father God, that we would receive from you. We thank you again that your Word just transforms our lives. May it touch us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You know, a lot of you last week were at open houses for schools and things like that, so I'm going to take, I'm going to give a brief overview on Leviticus again, not as long as I did last week. Some of you are saying, praise God, because I was here last week and I don't want to hear it again, but... We're going to do it real quickly. I just want to say this about Leviticus. It's one of the most important books in the entire Bible. And it's a book that is often overlooked by most people. If someone's going to teach, you know, topically and bounce around Scripture, chances of him landing in Leviticus are pretty zip, okay? Last week I had, had you guys raise your hands as to how many of you have gone verse by verse to Leviticus and there was one person. So even in our own body, we haven't spent a lot of time. I have to confess to you openly, I've never taught verse by verse through the entire book myself. And so I'm excited because as I began to look at Leviticus, I saw some awesome things. First of all, that it gives us understanding of atonement and holiness that is found in Leviticus unlike anywhere else. Without that, we could not fully understand the New Testament. So Leviticus is a key. It's really important that we understand it. Again, it's also the third book of the Mosaic Law, part of the Pentateuch, which means five books. We know the author of it is Moses. The reason we know that is that Jesus referred to him as the author of the book in Matthew chapter 8. We know that the book was written about in about one month period of time in 1445 BC, and it was literally the first month of the second year after they left out of Egypt. They'd come out of Egypt, and now they're out of Egypt, they're at Mount Sinai, and during a one month period, Moses sat down to the uh, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit and basically wrote this book. Leviticus means pertaining to the Levites. It's also called by the Jews the law of the priests. Now remember that Genesis revealed to us creation. It revealed to us sin and condemnation. It showed us man's depravity and us being separated from God. So we, we ended Genesis, man separated from God in his sin and in bondage. Then Exodus, we see that God came and sent, his, sent Moses, his deliverer, to deliver them out of the bondage in Egypt. So we went from a place of condemnation to a place of deliverance. So now when we got to the end of Exodus, they've now been delivered. They're at Mount Sinai. And what Leviticus is really all about is once delivered, now how do we live? And we talked about how the first half of Leviticus teaches about sacrifices, teaching us the way to God. And then the second half teaches us about sanctification, how to serve God and walk with God and become the, the Christian men and women that God's called us to be. All of that, again, is in Leviticus. Great book. You're going to love it. Uh, we also also know this. On the opposite extreme of, of the sanctification process, we also know that it is a very bloody book. I talked about this last week, that 88 times it refers to blood in Leviticus. Some of you last week, I'm going through the first chapter, and you're like, oh, you guys are getting queasy going through the chapter 1, right? And it's got a lot of blood in there, but the reason that it's there is it shows us that the price of sin is heavy. That our sin costs our, our, our Lord and our Savior a great deal. And we know last week, as we were looking at the different offerings that were made, that it's a very bloody book. We also know, though, that, the, that, that through that blood came holiness. Because 88 times it talks about blood, and 87 times it refers to holiness. 
So it's through the shedding of blood that there's the remission of sins. Without death, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And so Leviticus gives us that clear picture of atonement unlike any other book in the Old Testament. We also see that clear link between atonement and holiness, sacrifice and sanctification. And those of us, again, that we've been redeemed by God and now we're called to live separated lives. We also saw, see that throughout Leviticus, Christ is all over the place because we see that each sacrifice points to him. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament is a picture of Christ. We're going to see tonight as we look at the grain offering, you think, how in the world could a grain offering be a picture of Christ? I promise you when you leave here, you will have seen Jesus all over the chapter. And so the same is true of each sacrifice that is made. They all point to Jesus. They all point to Jesus. The Leviticus shows both the awfulness of sin, but also the graciousness of God, that he forgives us of our sin and that he paid the price for us. There's pictures of Christ in every one of the offerings. Some of the offerings we're going to see, we saw last week the burnt offering. Tonight we're going to look at the grain offering. Next week we'll look at the peace offering, then the sin offering, then the trespass offering. Every one of them again pointing to the Lord. We see the high priest, picture of Jesus. Aaron and his sons, the intercessors between sinful man and holy God, a picture again of our Savior. There's seven feasts throughout the entire uh, book of Leviticus, all of them, again, pointing to Jesus Christ. Whether it be Passover, Him passing over, where they put the shed blood upon the, the doorpost, right, the picture of the cross. Those who had that, that blood of the, of the lamb on their doorpost, they would be freed from the, the angel of death. The same is true, and again, a picture of Christ. Unleavened bread, as we'll see tonight, the Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, all of them, again, pointing to the Lord. And so as we look at that and we move on to Leviticus, last week we looked at chapter 1. And in chapter 1, we saw the burnt offering. Now, the burnt offering is the first of, of three what are called free will offerings. We'll look at that more in depth tonight. But the burnt offering was brought to the Lord. And there were three different types of animals or, or different types of offerings. The first one was called a herd offering. Remember, that was either a bull or an oxen. And we talked about the fact that Jesus, again, is the one who bears our burdens. And so a bull and an oxen, they were animals that bore the burdens. They, they were burden bearers, right? Pointing to Jesus Christ, the one who said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, for, and I will give you rest. So we give our burdens to him. He takes his, our burdens upon himself. And we remember what happened last week when they brought the bull that had to be a domesticated animal, which meant the animal had to literally be a part of the family. It had to be an animal that belonged to them. And they would literally care for that animal and raise that animal, and then they would take the best animal they had, the firstborn spotless one, and they would bring it in. And again, I don't mean to be graphic, but we need to hear it. They would take that animal and they would slit its throat, and blood would go everywhere. Brutal. Then they would take the animal and cut it up into small pieces. And I mean, can you imagine the blood that was everywhere? And they put the blood in the basin, and the high priest would pour it all around the altar. And so when you went into the burnt offering, all you saw was blood everywhere. And the reason that there was a need for that is that man needed to see that sin was not cheap. That when we sin and we've been separated from God, there was a heavy price that had to be paid. Those who could not afford a bull or an oxen, they would bring a, a, an offering from the flock, and either a sheep or a goat. Again, we know that a sheep points to the Lamb of God. Who's the Lamb of God? Jesus Christ. And we know that the goat, we see it, how many of you have ever heard the term scapegoat? Right? We talked about this last week. They would go and confess the sins over a goat. The Jews would. And they would take that goat and, and send it out into the wilderness, saying that all of our sins were going with it. 
And so they would have to take either a lamb or a goat and do the exact same thing. If they couldn't afford to pay for a, an oxen or a bull, they would do it with a lamb or a goat. Remember, again, can you imagine taking a little lamb? How many, I don't, I've, I've petted lambs before. They're sweet little animals. Can you imagine looking into the eyes of a precious little lamb and then having to slit its throat because of your sin? A perfect spotless lamb, and you, it has to die because of you. Do you think that doesn't give people a clear picture of how precious the gift is that God gave us on the cross? You know, unless we see that and understand that, we won't realize it. Truly, the, the, the gift of the gospel of salvation is free, but it wasn't cheap. Amen? Christ had to pay a heavy price for it. And then lastly, we saw it with the bird offering. And remember, that was only for the poorest of the poor people. And they would give turtle doves. Remember when Jesus, when Mary went in to be cleansed after she gave birth to Jesus, what did they bring? They brought turtle doves, showing that the family that Jesus was born into was very poor. You know, people say that Jesus were living today be driving a Rolls Royce. I don't know what Bible you're reading, because that's not the, not the case at all. Amen? But interesting that they said that they would take the bird and they would wring its neck. And we talked about the fact that, that Jesus' head was ringed with the crown of thorns. Remember that? Then it said that they would take that bird and they would remove its crop, all of its feathers. And we remember how we looked at the fact that when Jesus went to the cross, they plucked his beard. And then lastly, it said they would spread its wings and they, they, would, they, would, they would divide it, but they would not tear it. A picture would happen to Christ, that they spread his wings. They spread his arms upon the cross. And so we saw that that bird offering was a clear picture of the cross, just as the, the lamb was a picture of the lamb of God, and the goat, the picture of the scapegoat, and the, the bull, that, that beast of burden, the one that would take the burdens of mankind upon himself. So tonight we're going to look at the second offering. And in, in the first offering we saw just a, a clear picture of the fact that Jesus was in total submission to the Father, that he submitted completely to the will of the Father, and also that he was that redemptive work on the cross for us. Tonight we're going to see in the grain offering that Jesus Christ is that perfect, sinless perfection. He's sinless perfection. Jesus Christ is perfect. And we're going to see that in the, offer, in the, uh, the offering that we look at tonight. So here's the things we're going to see in the offering. First of all, how was it brought? What was it made of? What did they do with it? What was prohibited from being in it and the ingredient that is essential to all sacrifices, again, every single one of which will point clearly to Jesus. So let's take a look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord. First thing I want us to see here is, how was it brought? When anyone offers a grain offering, it says. Now, interesting, the word there, anyone, points to the fact that it is a free will offering. That these offerings are only given out of your free will. It was not a requirement. Some offerings were required. But this one was not. It was only given when somebody wanted to. They said, I want to give unto the Lord. Not because I have to, but because I want to. So it was a free will offering. And it says, if anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord. Again, unlike most offerings, it was given out of a free will. So how was it brought? First and foremost, it was brought from a willing heart. Then it says, to, given to the Lord. It was done willingly unto the Lord. In total submission to the will of the Father. Done willingly unto the Lord. Who does that sound like? That's a picture of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us when Jesus came, He gave Himself willingly to the perfect will of the Father, even unto death upon the cross. So how was it done? It was done from a, a free will, from our, from our heart. I want to encourage you guys with something. Don't give if you feel like someone's manipulating you to do it. Amen? Don't do it. Give out of a willing heart. Give because you love the Lord. 
Give because you say, Lord, I just love you so much, it's all yours anyway, and I want to give. That's giving. If you do it, you know, because someone manipulates you and makes you feel guilty, that's not really giving. So this is giving with a, that free will, giving with a willing heart. Second of all, what was this offering to be made of? And he shall pour, it says there, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. Probably seen that word somewhere before. But it says there, he, first of all, it shall be made of fine flour. Now, when you look at fine flour and you look it up in the original language, the word there means sifted. And it's interesting to me that this flour would contain no lumps and it would be of the highest quality. Now, in Leviticus chapter 1, with the burnt offering, we see a clear picture that Jesus completely submitted himself to the will of the Father because we see it was an offering where they burnt it all. Remember that they skinned the animal and how it was a picture of Jesus being whipped and beaten and mocked and scourged on our behalf? It was a clear picture of that redemptive work, but that he gave himself fully to the will of the Father. Now, where do you see that beginning of his ministry when he submitted completely to the will of the Father in a public way? Where does that happen in the New Testament? Who remembers? Where's the beginning of his public ministry? At his baptism, right? Now, right after his baptism, what did it say? What does it say in the Bible? He was led away into what? Who remembers? Into the wilderness to be what? Tempted. The word there is also sifted. So in Leviticus chapter 2, we go from him showing that he's completely submitted, right, by the, the, uh, the burnt offering, and now he's being sifted. And it says here that this fine flour must be sifted, a picture of the temptation that came to Christ after being submitted completely to the will of the Father. And so too it happens with us, that we are sifted, we are tempted. Now, how do we overcome temptation in our life? And how did Jesus Christ exemplify that? It says, and he shall pour oil on it. So he was tempted in the wilderness. And it's interesting, what did he, what, what it was one of the temptations? He tempted him to turn stones into what? Bread. And what are we looking at here? The grain offering where they're making bread. I mean, nothing happens by chance in the Bible, all right? Now, we see here that after he goes and he, give, and he does this, it says that they poured oil on it on top of this fine flour. Now, oil in the Bible is a picture of what? Holy Spirit. So how did Jesus overcome temptation? He's, he's perfect God. But we also know, know that from his birth, he was being God, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But also here it says the word, and put frankincense on it. Now, where else have we seen frankincense? We all know of this. Where was it? Wise men. They brought frankincense. Now, what is frankincense? You ever wondered that? What in the world is frankincense, right? Well, let me tell you what it is. It's a, it's a gum resin with a real pungent odor that was used as incense in a tabernacle. And it's derived from the word pure incense. That's what frankincense means. It means pure incense. Remember I told you that this whole chapter is about how pure Jesus is about how pure and how holy. And so this fine sifted flour of the highest quality without lumps, this oil, this anointing oil, a picture of the Holy Spirit, and then this pure incense, this is what is making up the grain offering. These are the main items in the grain offering, all of them pointing to Jesus. Because what does this frankincense do? It, it gives a sweet aroma when everything is burned. And you know what? When Jesus suffered and died on the cross, though it was suffering, it was also sweet incense in the presence of the Father because it was the thing that restored sin back to holy God. 
And so we see that very clearly. So Jesus, in His sinless perfection, willingly submitted to the Father, was anointed with the Holy Spirit, endured temptation, and was a sweet aroma in the presence of the Father. Now, the application for us, and we're going to see this as we move on, is that we are to submit ourselves freely to the will of the Father. When we do, He will anoint us with the Spirit to serve Him, to endure temptation, and we will be a sweet aroma in the presence of the Father. Does it blow your mind that you can be a sweet aroma in the presence of the Creator of the universe? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? To think that simple men and women like us, that we can be a sweet aroma, that we can bless Him, that we can smile to His face, Almighty God, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? But that's what the Bible tells us here. That we can be a sweet aroma in His presence, but it must begin by us being submitted to His will. And we'll talk about that more as we move on. Question number three. So we know what, how it was done. It was done with a willing heart. And we know what, was, what it was made up of. It was made up mainly, again, of, of fine flour, of oil, and of frankincense. And then what was done with it? Look at verse 2. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. So after making this, this grain offering, they would bring it into the hands of the priest. Now the priest is a type of who? Who's the high priest today? Jesus Christ. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us daily. That's why we don't need earthly priests anymore. Amen? Okay? I'm, I don't mean to step on your toe. That's reality. You don't need them. You don't need to go to some man to, tell you, to talk to God for you. God is right there. Veil's been torn. You can enter into His presence anywhere, anytime. Praise God. Amen? And so we see here that they went and they put it in the hands of the high priest. Now, you know what this reminded me of? It reminds me of the story that we just looked at a few weeks ago in John, where, they fed the fi- where Jesus fed the 5,000. Remember that the boy came with his lunch? And what did he do? He put it where? In Jesus' hands. And that little lunch that he had put in Jesus' hands fed a multitude. And the same should happen with us with the offerings that we have. We need to come and just put it in Jesus' hands. They came and put it in the hands of the high priest, a picture of Jesus Christ, a picture of the Son of the living God, and said, here, we want to put this into your hands to make the offering on our behalf. And so now we come and say, Lord, I give you my life, I give you my all, I put it into your hands, because that's where the miraculous takes place. The intercessors between sinful man and holy God, again, a picture of Jesus Christ. It says there, they put it in and one of whom shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. And the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the fine flour, the oil, and the frankincense, they would take a small portion of that and they would burn it. Now remember, fire purifies and judges. When you see fire in the Bible, it's purification and it's judgment. And you know what? Fire will burn away all that's unclean. It'll remove all the dross, right? And it also brings forth judgment. And that's what it's a picture of. And so judgment would come with this sacrifice, this sacrifice of fine flour, picture of our Savior being sifted like wheat. The Bible, oil, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the frankincense, the sweet aroma in the presence of the Father. And then we see fire. And where do they burn the fire? On the altar. Now we talked about this before. The altar is a picture of the cross. Okay? Because at the cross, what do we see? It's a place of either righteous judgment or a place of restoration. You know what? For those of us who know Christ, the cross is an awesome thing. Amen? Because we know that at the cross, our sin was paid for and we're heaven bound. Amen? We're going. 
We've been adopted into his family, and it was all paid for there. He said, it is finished. But those who don't know Christ, it's going to be a place of judgment. It's a place where they could have had their sins forgiven, but they never repented, and they walked away. And so we see here that they come to this, this altar, and they take this grain offering, a type or a picture of Christ, and they, by fire, they put it upon the altar, and it's consumed. A picture, again, of what Christ would do for us. But ultimately, it was a sweet aroma to the Lord. Because of the purity of the sacrifice, like our, the spotless lamb, our perfect Savior, it produced a sweet aroma in the presence of the Lord. Only if the sacrifice is perfect. And we'll look at that more in just a moment. Verse 3. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his son's. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. The rest of the grain offering was given to the priest as food for their daily sustenance. Now here's the the thing. When we give to the Lord, part of what we give to is those who are in full-time ministry. Part of what we do is we give to people like missionaries and pastors. And you know what? Because of your graciousness to give, it allows people like me to study all day, which I've never done before, and it's been a total blessing, by the way, the last two and a half weeks. God bless you guys. But, I mean, what a blessing for me to be able to study in the daylight hours. I didn't know what that was like, right? But the reality is it's also to free those guys up so they can pray for you, they can be available to you, they can minister to you. And the same is true for our missionaries. You know, people who give up their entire life and, and feel called by God to go somewhere and just preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, it's a privilege for us to give so that they might be blessed. And so when this offering, this grain offering was brought, a portion of it was burned or sacrificed unto the Lord, but the rest of it was used to minister to the priest, to minister to those who were, who were interceding on behalf of the flock. Now, I want to say this, though. This grain offering is the only offering, it says it's the most holy of offerings. And the reason it's the most holy of offerings is that its ingredients clearly point to the sinless perfection of our Savior. And again, only a perfect sacrifice can be sacrificed for us. Now, with, but remember that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sins. So you might say, well, wait a minute, this is a grain offering. There's no blood being shed here. This offering, offering was never given by itself. It was always given with the burnt offering or given with the sin offering. It was always given in addition to because there had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. The two of them done together would give a greater emphasis on both the suffering and perfection of our Savior. Now let's move on to, and look at how it, that it was prepared in different ways, but the items in the sacrifice were always the same. Let's look in verse 4. And if you bring an offering, a grain offering, baked in the oven baked in an oven, it shall be of unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. So the, one of the ways you could prepare, you could bake it in an oven. Some just brought it, others baked it in an oven. But if they baked it in an oven, it had to be of unleavened cakes. Now why is that? What is leaven a picture of in the Bible? Sin. And there can be no leaven because if there's leaven, it cannot be sacrificed. And again, we'll see this more as we go through the text. It says, unleavened cakes mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. And I found this interesting. The cakes, the oil was put right into the... I, I don't bake, so I know nothing. Where's Rod Siegel when you need him? But, you know, if, if when you bake, I guess you mix it right in. You know, you mix it right in with the ingredients, and then you bake it all together. Whereas the wafers, they were made themselves, and they would anoint it with oil. Now, it's interesting to me as I was looking at that in my inductive Bible study this afternoon. As I was looking on it, one of them, the oil was automatically a part of 
the, the, the cake. It was a part of it. And in the other case, it was added to it. It was poured upon and anointed with it. Now, it's interesting to me that when Jesus was born, again, a picture of Christ, that we know the Holy Spirit was with him from birth because he's God and he and the Holy Spirit, in a sense, are one. Amen. Not in a sense, they are one. Okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So from the beginning, the Holy Spirit is with him from birth. Right? Then, at the baptism, what happens? Remember what happened? The picture of the Trinity? When Jesus came up out of the water, it says, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And what descended upon Him like a dove? Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit is with Him at birth, and an example for us. And then the Holy Spirit came upon Him as He was getting ready to do service. Full-time ministry in a sense, right? Now we know that Jesus Christ is always God. The Holy Spirit is always with them, period. All right? Except for that moment on the cross when he was separated from the Father. But here's the reality. Jesus did not need the whole, you know, he didn't have to have the Holy Spirit put upon him because the Holy Spirit was always upon him because he's God. You know, some people try to say that Jesus had to learn growing up. Sorry. Not, it didn't happen. Okay. Yeah, Jesus had to learn math. No, I don't think so. He's God. You know, people say, well, he, he left his perfection in heaven. No, he didn't. He was perfect God on earth. How did he heal people? He was walking on water. I don't see any other human beings doing that. Amen? He, he saw Nathaniel when he was under the fig tree. He said, you know, when you're under the fig tree, I saw you. How did he see him? He wasn't over there. But he's perfect God. Okay? And so we see here, though, that he lived to be an example for us. And I find this interesting that he had the Holy Spirit with him from birth. And when does the Holy Spirit come with us? come inside of us at spiritual birth. Amen? When you were born again, what made you born again? You repented of your sin and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Now at His baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon Him. And you know what? When does the Holy Spirit come upon us? When we ask for the filling or indwelling or baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is upon us. So, so we see here clearly in a picture of Christ that it was mixed with some and poured on others. Again, I believe a picture of Jesus and a picture for us that the Holy Spirit is first with us and in us, then He comes upon us, just as He did here with our Savior. Now, verse 5. But if your offering of grain is baked in a pan, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. So in verse 5, it's baked in a pan, or that word there also could be a plate or like a griddle. And though it had the same ingredients, you know, the, the, the fine flour, the unleavened, you know, unleavened without leaven, and the mixed with oil, that when you put all those things together and you bake it in a different way, it would come out in a different form. Instead of being like a cake, it was really flat and hard. And it says that then what they did with it is they broke it into pieces. Now, what did they do to our Savior on the cross? They broke Him in a sense, right? He, didn't, he had no bones broken, but His body was broken for us. He was whipped and He was scourged and His, you know, His body was torn open for us. You know, the veil was torn. Remember that? And we looked at this in Exodus, that the veil was torn. And in Hebrews says that the veil is His flesh. So just as His flesh was torn, that veil was torn that we might enter into His presence. And here we see in this context right here that it was baked and then it was broken. A picture again of Christ's suffering, His scourging and His beating. But then what happened after it was broken? It says there that oil was poured upon it. Now, I find this interesting because again, when are we anointed for service? When do we get used mightily by God? First, what must happen? We must be broken. 
Notice here that it's broken and then anointed. How does it happen in our life? We must first come before the Lord broken and then we're anointed. Amen? You want to have the fullness of the Spirit of the living God dwelling within you. You want to be used mightily for His kingdom. You must first be broken. We've said this before that the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken is a man or a woman. Everything else when broken is ruined. But when we're broken, we become more valuable in the hands of God because it's no longer my will. It's no longer my passion. It's no longer my heart or my desire. It's, Lord, your will. Lord, I give up. And that's what we need to do. Amen? We need to just die to self and say, Lord, for, you know, I'm broken before you. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. You know, it says in, that John the Baptist said this, and Jesus said of John the Baptist, of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. But then John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. I must be broken that I might be filled and anointed with him instead. Here we see the breaking of these wafers, the breaking of this bread, and then the anointing comes. And the same is true with us. It's first that we must be broken before our Savior and before God. Broken, desperate for him, crying out for him, in need for him, no longer reliant upon self. Verse 7. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Now, baked in a covered pan, same elements, fine flour, sifted, pure, with oil, a picture of the Holy Spirit. And I find this interesting. There's all these different ways of making it, but notice that the the uh, essential elements are always the same. And here's what I thought about. I thought about the fact that while the presentation may differ, the, the ingredients were always the same. Churches may vary in presentation, right? I mean, we're seeing it tonight. You guys look all uncomfortable because you're not sitting in hard metal chairs in the gym, right? <laughs> but the reality is that, that churches may vary. They can be formal or they can be informal. We can sing hymns or contemporary worship. We can be meeting in a gym or a stained glass cathedral. And we can meet in all these different places and the presentation can be different. And the emphasis, the way that we dress, or all those things can be different. And that's okay. But the essentials must be the same. Amen? Well, they can bake it, or they can put it on a pan, or they can put it in a covered thing. You know, they can bake it in all different ways, but it's always the fine flour, and it's always the oil. It's always the Holy Spirit, and it's always that sifted flour, it perfect picture of Christ. So, while we can meet in different buildings, we can dress different ways, we can worship with different music, it still must be Jesus Christ, Him crucified, risen from the dead, and coming back. Amen? There's no other way to heaven. Jesus is the only way. That's it. And so that's an essential that cannot change. And as soon as we alter that, we've left it. We've left the church. We've left God. We've missed it completely. How we meet, where we meet, you know, how we dress, not as important. But those essentials cannot change. And I found that interesting. All these different ways of preparing it, but the stuff is the same. How it turns out may look a little different, but it's made of the same, very same thing. And I like that. Again, I believe a picture of the church today. Now it says there that, that it was made in the worshiper's hands in verse 8. He made it in his hands, and then what did he do with it? He brought it to the priest. Again, a type of Christ. He, he brought it and put it in Christ's hands, who then brings it to the altar, the place of sacrifice. Now, the offering is brought where? To the Lord. To the high priest. What do we do with our offerings? We bring it and we put it into God's hands. Appointed intercessor who then brings it to the place of sacrifice. Again, a picture of Jesus who took our sins and what did He do with them? He took them to the cross. 
He took our sins to the cross. Just as they, they brought their offering and gave it to the priest who then took it to the altar where it was burnt, we come and we bring our sins to the foot of the cross. We bring it to Christ who has taken it to the cross for us and paid the price for us. Amen? So as we look at this grain offering, we clearly see over and over and over again picture of Jesus Christ and that which was done for us. Verse 9 and 10. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire. The Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. So a portion again given to the Lord as a memorial in remembrance pointing to what he would do on the altar acceptable uh, purifying fire producing a sweet aroma a blessing in God's presence and then it said the rest of it would be given again to those priests it's the most holy why because it's a picture of Christ's sinless perfection question number four what was prohibited from being a part of the offering we know it's in it we know that it's got that fine flour again sifted without lumps it's got the oil that's a picture of the Holy Spirit Again, pointing to Jesus Christ. But what cannot be a part of this offering? What cannot be there? Let's take a look beginning in verse 11. It says, No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with what? Leaven. Why is that? Because as we said, no leaven because leaven is a picture of sin. What does leaven cause? What does it cause the, 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 to do? What does it cause it to do? It rise, right? Isn't it interesting that the Bible tells us that, that sin, what does it do? It pu- we get puffed up, and that's sin, right? And the bread gets puffed up when it's filled with leaven. Why did, why did uh, Satan get thrown out of heaven? What was the original sin? It was pride. He wanted to be God. I believe that virtually all sin originates with pride. All of it. You know, covetousness is pride. I want it for me, right? I mean, lusting in your heart, it's pride. I want this for me. And whatever it is, it begins with pride. And what the Bible says that, you know, we see that in reality that leaven makes things rise. And sin is, is evident in our pride, thinking of me first. And so there can be no leaven in the sacrifice or it won't be worthy before God, which means there can be no sin in the sacrifice. You know what? Even if he had and he didn't, Muhammad cannot die for you. Why? Because Muhammad was the sinner in need of a savior. Amen? And he didn't die on any cross anyway, right? Joseph Smith didn't die on a cross. Mary Baker Eddy didn't die on a cross. Charles Taze Russell. None of these guys who started these, you know, world religions died for you, and none of them could anyway, because their lives were filled with leaven. They were sinners in desperate need of a savior themselves. Don't follow any man, they're all sinners. Follow Jesus. Amen? People complain about the hypocrites in the church. Don't tell me what Christians have done to you. Let me tell you what Christ has done for you. Amen? We need to be looking at Jesus, not worried about what men have done. And so there can be no leaven or the sacrifices of no value. Only acceptable sacrifice must be sinless. It says, made with no leaven, for you shall burn no leaven. Why? Because no worthy sacrifice can contain any leaven. You cannot sacrifice it. You cannot burn it. It's of no value. If you brought a blemished animal, it was of no value. It must be that perfect lamb pointing to the Lamb of God. It says there also, 
nor any honey in the offering to the Lord made by fire. Now you might wonder why honey. I, you know, I, I looked into this. Honey can also produce a fermentation process, which would then corrupt the bread. And so guess what? If it ferments it or corrupts it, it's like leaven. And there can be no honey in it. Now, later they had the Feast of the First Fruits, we'll see later, and you could bring honey to those because they weren't offered to God. If they were just given to the priest, that was fine. But if it was burnt or was put on an altar, it could contain no leaven and no honey. And you know what else? Honey is a sweetener that breaks down in heat. In great heat, honey breaks down. And you know what? Our Savior endured the ultimate temptation, the ultimate fire, the ultimate, all of that. It, it did, he did not break down because He's perfect, holy God. And the same needs to be true of us. So frankincense, again, gave a sweet aroma as the heat was turned up, but honey would break down. Verse 12. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for sweet aroma. So again, the offering of first fruits, you could bring honey and leaven, they could be offered, but they were not to be burned upon the altar because it was a place for only sinless, perfect perfection God only. Amen? Now that's why, again, people struggle with that. Aren't there many paths to God? You know, I was in the gym the other night in the, the health club. He knows I'm a pastor. And he says, so pastor, what, what's your thoughts on the war? And, and all that did was give me an opportunity to minister to him and share with him about the love of God. Because here's the good news. No matter what happens, God is in control. Amen? No matter what happens, our God is faithful. You read the end of read Revelation, we win. Amen? Before it's over, God, God wins. We're in control. We know where we're going. Now, we need to be faithful in the meantime, but we don't need to be running around scared to death. I know people that didn't go to work today because they were afraid what was going to happen. You know what? There's no fear for those in Christ Jesus. Amen? We don't have to walk around bummed and worried. We should be praying for those people in Iraq. Amen? We should be praying for them. We should be praying that, that, you know, for wisdom for our president. But we don't have to run around worried and petrified and uptight and anxious because our God's faithful and he's in control and they can't vote God out of office. Amen. There's nothing they can do. He's always going to be God and praise God for that. We can trust in him. So we need to be, just remember that and seek after him above all else. Number, question number five. What's the essential ingredient to all sacrifices? We've seen what, the, what it was made of. We see how it was brought. We see what cannot be a part of it. Now we're going to see what is the essential ingredient. Look at verse 13. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from the grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Every sacrifice must be seasoned with salt. Salt in the Bible is talks about purification, it's a preservative, and it lends flavor. In Matthew chapter 5, it says this. Most of you know this. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is in good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, we are called to be the salt of the world, and pure salt can never lose its flavor. But if salt is contaminated then it loses its flavor. And it also doesn't work as a preservative anymore. And then it's worth nothing but to be thrown on past to keep vegetation from growing. And so we're called to be pure, but not contaminated. We're called to be salty. Amen? We're supposed to be salty. We should be so salty that we make people thirst for what we have. 
Make them thirsty for Jesus. Now, I don't go into bars, but I understand they put like pretzels and real salty stuff on the counter, right? Because they want people to buy $9 beers, right? They just put all, yeah, have as many of those peanuts as you want. And the guys over there, you know, hey, give me something to drink. Uh, bottle of water, 14 bucks. I don't care, right? And so that salt causes people to be thirsty. And the Lord's called us to be the salt of the world. I just read it to you in Matthew 5. We're the salt. And we're, we should be so salty that we make people thirst for what we have. And any offering that's given must have salt. It must be salty. Without salt, it's not a preservative. Without salt, and the good news again is that salt in its purest form can never ever lose its flavor. Salt is also different than what it touches. A picture again of that purity. It's pure. It preserves. It lends flavor. Contaminated again is of no value and no effectiveness. There it says the salt of the covenant that speaks of God's permanence of his promise. It says with all your offerings you shall offer salt. To be a sacrifice it must be salty. For you and I to be living sacrifices we must be salty. Amen? What does it say in Romans? Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For us to be salty, we cannot be conformed to the world. As soon as we become conformed to the world, we're contaminated, and the salt is of no value. It can be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. For us to be living sacrifices, we must be salty. Which means that our motives must be pure. Our passion must be for God. Our eyes must be upon Him. We must be salty to be used in an effective way. Impacting the world around us, not conformed to it or contaminated by it. I want to encourage you with something. You're watching stuff on TV that doesn't honor the Lord. You're being contaminated by the world. Amen? You know what happens? You start getting desensitized to sin. You know, the first time you see it, oh! The second time, oh! You know, and the 500th time, oh. Right? Isn't that what happens? First time you saw it, you go, oh, that's ball! You know, and then after so many times, you just get used to it. And you know, we need to not be contaminated by the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We minister to the world, but we have no fellowship with the world. We're called to be salty. We're called to make an impact. We're called to be different. Not, you know, people weren't attracted to Jesus because He fit in. He wasn't like everyone else. He was totally unique. Amen? People say, oh, well, we need to just fit into the world and go with the flow. No, I don't think so. Did John the Baptist, like, go with the flow? Elijah, Apostle Paul, right? These guys, you think of these guys are like, yeah, I'm just going to fit in with the world. I don't want to cause any static, man. I just don't want to have any problems. Paul was getting up in front of the, the, the leaders, the Sanhedrin, man. It'd be like if he went down to Congress, what would he do? He'd get up, you know, you guys are a bunch of vile, wicked sinners, and you need to get saved. That's what he would do, right? He would tell them with the love of God, but he would point them to Jesus. And you know what? We're not going to get to heaven and be bummed out that we were too bold. Amen? Nobody's on their deathbed going, man, I should have dialed it down for Jesus while I was here. Right? Nobody says, I wish I'd made a little bit more money. Right? I mean, but we live our lives striving after money, striving after stuff, getting contaminated by the world, not setting our mind on God above all else. You know what? We want to be living sacrifices. We need to be salty. Let no sacrifice be put on that is not seasoned with salt. We want to live for Him. We need to make an impact on the world around us. Impacting the world, not conform to it. Lastly, verse 14 through 16. 
It says, And if you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruit green heads of grain, roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads. Now, I want you to see this. I think this is awesome. I didn't see this in any commentaries. I didn't see it anywhere. I just, the Lord, first of all, says for this, this first fruit offering, which was given at harvest time, the first thing they did is you took green heads of grain, which means they were not fully ripe. They weren't fully ready. And they plucked them. And as soon as they plucked them, what did they do? What does it say there? It says they roasted them on the fire. Then after roasting them on the fire, they were beaten. Now, when you look in the Bible, you see so many pictures of this. First, it was picked raw green, then it was dried on the fire, and then it was made into the finest flour possible. Again, all of these are a picture of Christ's suffering, but I also believe it has a clear picture for each one of us. Because what happens? Look at verse 15. It says there, And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. So you take this grain picked green, dried by the fire, and beaten. You know what? When you see people in the Bible who are used mightily by God, the first thing that happens is they're called. But once called by God, more often than not, I don't care who you pick, Joseph, David, pick somebody in the Bible. You know, Joseph was, God revealed to him in a dream that all of his brothers would, would bow to him. You guys remember that? But before that happened, what happened to him? He got thrown into a pit and left for dead. But then they sold him into slavery. Then after being sold into slavery, he was a slave, and then he was elevated as a slave, but then the, the Potiphar's wife lied about him, and what happened to him? He got thrown into prison. Then after being in prison for a while and being the best prisoner interpreting dreams, he finally ended up being the prince of Egypt. But from the time of calling to the time being used mildly by God, he went through a time of exile. He went through a time of loneliness. He went through a time of despair. A time of being roasted in the fire. From that green head that was plucked, he was then roasted in the fire. After being roasted in the fire, he was then beaten and broke to the place where he was broken. What about David? David was anointed by Samuel. You guys remember that? He was a teenager when that happened. He went out and slayed Goliath after that. Things were looking pretty good, right? He smoked the giant. And then what happened? Saul started throwing spears at him. Then he was running away from Saul. and He was hiding in caves. And then finally, he became the king, man after God's own heart. Moses, right? What did he do, right? He, he grew up in this Egyptian home. God put, he had to go out and he was out in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering around, right? From calling to exile to finally being used mildly by God. You know, God wants to bring us to the end of ourselves so we are fully reliant upon him. Then we get to see God do great things. You know, we need to be to the point where, Lord, break me. We don't like that, bro. Well, roasted in fire? Come on. There's got to be another way, right? Can't I just give a lot of money or go to church a lot or something? I mean, roasted in the fire? But here's the good news is, the only thing he burns away is stuff that's no good. Amen? He's not going to take that from you that's good. He loves you. Do you go to your kids? They're, you know, they're sitting there having a nice meal and start slapping their hand. You can't have any food. That's no good. You can't have that. No, you don't do that. They run out in the street. You grab them by the arm and swat them and say, don't play in the street. You're going to get hit by a bus. You know, that's roasted by fire, right? Stay out of the street. And God, roast, roasted by fire, brokenness, takes away those things that get our eyes off of God. Those things that are no good for us. For some of us, it might be our career is way too important. 
It might be our pursuit of a spouse, or it might be something else, whatever it might be. You know, uh, uh, in my case, it was a sport. I was totally into football in college, way too much. I just kept getting injured. God said, that's too important to you. Let's get rid of that. Let's roast that by fire. Let's bring you to the end of yourself, but that's not so important anymore. And so the, these green heads are plucked, but then they're roasted by fire, being purified, and then beaten. But then look what happens. Here's the good news. Once it's finally broken, like we talked about a moment ago, look at what it says in verse 15, and then you put oil on it. What's oil? Holy Spirit. So you go from being, you know, green, and then you're roasted by fire. You go through those trials and difficulties. Finally, you come to the point where you give up. I give up. Lord, I can't do it without you. I've tried to do it by myself. I can't. Oh, you're ready. Now you're ready. I'm going to pour my oil out upon you. I'm going to pour my spirit out upon you. I'm going to do mighty things in your life. When we think we can do it in our abilities or in our flesh, nothing good's going to come of it. We must be broken. We must be roasted by fire. Some of you right now are in the fire. I know some of you have some heavy things going on in your life right now. Not because you're in sin or out of God's will or anything, but you're just going through some difficulties. You've had things happen to you. You know what? God will use it for His glory if you'll let Him. Amen? No matter what it is, God will use it for His glory if you will let Him. Whatever trial you're going through, whatever difficulty you're having, whatever thing you're in the midst of, come to the place where you give it to the Lord and He will pour His oil out upon you. He will comfort you in the power of His Holy Spirit. He will bless you and use you in a mighty and a powerful way. But we must first come to the end of ourselves. As long as we try to do it in our flesh, it's not going to produce much fruit. It can only happen when we're broken. Again, what becomes more valuable when broken? A man or a woman, you and I. As you and I go through the trials of life, know that God is perfecting us for greater use. I can't tell you how many times things that I've gone, I went through in my life 20 years ago or 15 years ago or sometimes two weeks ago. And then I'll talk to somebody, and they're in the middle of it. How many of you have ever gone through a trial, and then later you get to minister to someone that's going through the same thing? Right? God will we'll go through the fire that we might be able to minister to others. We'll go through the difficulties and the struggles. So these, these green heads that are plucked in, it says they pour oil out on it, and frankincense on it. So you know what that means? Not only do we go from being that place of brokenness, and then we're filled with the Spirit of the living God, but now we become a sweet aroma in His presence. Why? Because it's not about me anymore. Lord, I, it's all about you. Jesus, my life is yours. Philippians 1.21, my favorite verse in the Bible, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. What does that mean? It means Christ is my life. He's not first in my life or tenth in my life or one hundredth in my life. He is my life. He's every number from one to a hundred, every number in between. It's all about him. Man, Pastor Dave, is that, is that you can't like ever have any fun then or what? You know? Let me tell you something. I was created, and you were created to have a relationship with God. That's why you were created. Amen? And you know what? When you take something and it's being used to do what it was created for, there's nothing better you can do with it. You ever tried using, like, a a hoe as a hammer? You ever tried doing that? Right? You know, I mean, you can make it work, but it's not real good. But you know what? When you put a tool in the hand of its master, and it's being used for what it was created for, it's an awesome thing. You and I were created to have an intimate relationship with God. 
We were created to worship Him. We were created to be conduits to a lost and dying world that His Spirit of the living God would speak through us. There's nothing greater, there's no greater joy in the world than walking in the fullness of Him. But it can only come when we die to self and we're broken of our will, when it's no longer about me anymore, when it's no longer my agenda. When I wake up in the morning, I think, what am I going to do? But Lord, what do you want to do? How do you want to use me? Wake up with yes, Lord, on your lips like Samuel. Lord, I just want to be used by you today. And watch, it's eternal. It has an eternal significance. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? And so we see here with this, this grain offering, that at that point when it's this first fruits offering, that point when they take those green heads, then it's roasted on the fire, and the grain is beaten from the full heads, then the oil is poured upon it, and then the frankincense is on it, and then it truly becomes a grain offering. Last first. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion. Part of it is beaten grain, part of it's oil, with all the frankincense is an offering made by fire to the Lord. The priest burned a small portion of it, and then again, the rest of it was given to the priest. Now this again is a picture of what was to come when our precious Savior, the perfect Lamb of God, would be beaten. He was mocked, he was scourged, his beard was plucked, he had a crown of thorns placed upon his head, he had nails driven through his wrists, but he was also filled with the Spirit of the living God and directed by the Holy Spirit and went to the cross and suffered in our place, producing that sweet aroma in the presence of the Father as he restored sinful man back to holy God. So in conclusion, the grain offering, a perfect picture of Christ's sinlessness. First of all, you have the fine flour. It's sifted, tempted, and yet did it without sin. Why was Jesus tempted? To show us that we can overcome temptation. Amen? He was tempted in all ways, such as we are, yet without sin. Every way they tried to tempt him, he didn't fall. Why? Because he was walking, because he's God and he's walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Do you know that we can overcome every temptation? How do we do that? We walk in the fullness of the Spirit. We also see the oil, that it was mixed with and dwelt from birth and anointed upon for service at baptism. We see the frankincense, a picture of Christ, that He was a sweet aroma in the presence of the Father. That He was without leaven, which means He was untouched by evil. Jesus was untouched by evil. Perfect, sinless God. He was beaten, showing that He suffered on our behalf. He went through the fire, which again points to the cross. And in the end, from the dead, triumphed over sin and death. Now ask His followers, how does this apply to us? Last statement tonight. Know that through temptation and persecution, they're going to come, you guys, that He has anointed us with His Holy Spirit, that He guides and leads and directs our lives. He empowers us to overcome temptation, to live salty lives, to be a sweet aroma in the presence of the Father. How many of you guys want to live a life so salty that He impact the world around you? Amen? And you know what? We can. Let's just ask, Lord, help me to be salty. Help me, Lord, to impact the world around me. Lord, may my life be a sweet aroma in your presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you that as we look at the grain offering and the perfection of your Son, who came and suffered and died, that we might have eternal life. Lord, as Christians, may we be followers of Christ. May we too have the same heart and the same passion. Just as he was salty and impacted the world around him, may we be salty. Just as he overcame temptation, walking in the fullness of the Spirit, may we overcome temptation as we walk in the fullness of your Spirit. Lord, I just pray, Father God, that you would help us during these difficult times in our nation, Lord, to truly just turn it up a notch to be salty for you. Bring us opportunities as people talk about this war to tell them where our hope is. That's not in any government or, any, or anything else, but Lord, our hope is in you. You're such a faithful God. 
So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Again, thank you for your love and your grace, your infinite mercy. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship service.